How are you doing, Nathan? Yeah, all, all well here, Will. Um, we are in a bit of self-isolation at the moment. My son's not been very well, so um, we've got a good 14 days in. Um, obviously in lockdown now anyway, so um, yeah. I'm sorry to hear your son is unwell, Nathan. Interesting that you're getting some first-hand experience of self-isolation. Interestingly, this podcast is recorded the day after the Prime Minister just announced that the whole country is to be put in lockdown. So really testing times for everyone at the moment. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a, it's a very strange, sort of surreal um, period, isn't it? It's a bit, a bit unusual to kind of, you know, this this sort of thing I don't think has ever happened in, at least not in my lifetime, I'm not sure about yours, but um, yeah, it's a kind of unique situation for all of us, really. It really is, it really is. Well, it's great to have you on the podcast, Nathan. And in this episode, we're going to look at your paper that was recently published in The Psychologist on dealing with the psychological challenges of uh, isolation and confinement during this uh, COVID-19 pandemic. So I'm hoping we can discuss some of the issues from this and breathe it to life. Yeah, absolutely fine. Yeah, yeah. Happy to talk about it. One thing just to start with, uh, there's a lot of different lingo being thrown around. Uh, there's this idea of quarantine and there's isolation. There's also social distancing. Would you be able to unpack some of that? You know, what does what do all of these terms mean uh, and are they uh, in, are they different? Yeah, I think so. I mean, I, I'll start by saying I'm definitely not an expert on all of these kind of different terminologies and that sort of thing. But the way I understand it is, you know, we've got these sort of different tiers, so um, we've got or we did have before the lockdown came into effect we had this sort of social distancing idea of keeping a certain degree of distance and separation between you and other people if you were out and about um, we have that self-isolation so this is a slightly more autonomous um, choice that if you are feeling sort of symptoms that might reflect coronavirus um, then you should stay indoors and stay away from public spaces um, and, and you know in effect self-isolate um, and then I think then we start shifting towards something slightly more extreme. Um, so the quarantine is probably a little bit more what we're all experiencing now in lockdown. Um, so we're, we've been sort of told that we have to stay indoors for most of the day. Um, people that are confirmed um, COVID cases are in sort of full quarantine, if you like. So they're, they're either stuck in their houses with symptoms and they can't leave and they're having to get stuff delivered and left on their doorstep. Um, or there are obviously um, some people that are slightly more um, unwell and they will be in sort of quarantine conditions in hospitals. Um, so I think that that's probably the difference between those three things. So Nathan, whilst many people across the country are in lockdown or in self-isolation, they feel that their agency has been taken from them. And this is a, a key theme in your article. Can you tell me more about the role that agency plays in coping with uh, isolation and confinement? Yeah, I mean, so we know we know from lots of domains that agency is uh, sort of a fundamental human need. Like we we all do better when we've in, in control of our decisions and choices, and we have some ownership over what we do. Um, so I think that's why when we start talking about quarantine that's why it's it's potential for negative mental health impacts is so so strong um, because it actually takes our agency offers um, so we might not have kind of physical illnesses but we're having this kind of really fundamental desire taken away um, and that for some people can be quite um, disruptive and damaging 
Yeah. Do you, do you think the UK government's approach by imploring us to stay in our homes and avoiding a police uh, a police lockdown is part of a strategy to not deprive us of too much of our own agency? Yeah, I do actually. So I, I've sort of my wife and I've been chatting about some of the decision making up to this point. The, the government have approached this idea, um, and I, you know, I sort of without wanting to back any different types of political party, I, I do sort of understand the thinking of wanting to keep this quarantine period as short as possible because they know it's going to be hard for people. Um, but then the decision to frame it in a way that promotes this sense of understanding um, and like a, this sort of empathetic reason for wanting to, to do the quarantine uh, or the self-isolation, it, it captures something a little bit more intrinsic within us, you know, identifying the importance of caring and helping other people is slightly different than just being told we have to stay indoors. Um, and, and I think that's probably part of the messaging. There's a great article from The Lancet that you reference in your paper that describes the main adverse psychological effects of confinement. What are those? So from a from a psych, so the, the article in The Lancet was um, a, a systematic review, a rapid systematic review of the psychological effects of quarantine. So it's well worth going and digging out if people are interested in reading more and and I think in in there what Samantha Brooks and the team at King's College talked about were a few different things so they they talked about threat so we know when when quarantine conditions are activated um, there's something going on that is quite dangerous so there's this sort of sense of of threat and dread and if people are self-isolating now and they've got they're starting to get sort of cough and cold type symptoms they might automatically start jumping to think oh is it coronavirus so there's this sort of lingering uncertainty um, which accompanying that might be fearful um, feelings um, depending on how ta- how long the the quarantine goes on people might start having dips in their moods um, they might start to get irritable um, and if if you're stuck in a small space with lots of other people if you've got a family around you um, being under each other's feet um, for, for a long time each day for, for a long period of time, um, there might be some social tension starting to occur as well. So Nathan, a lot of your research has been studying uh, what you call ice groups. That's um, people working in isolated, confirmed, uh, isolated, confined or extreme settings. T- tell me more about that. Yeah, so probably for, for quite a few years now, we've been working with these ice groups um, and these are people that go off and do things in kind of extreme and unusual environments. So when we talk about ice, like you just said, it's the isolated, confined and extreme population. So that's people that are going and living at Antarctic research stations, um, submariners, people taking part in space simulation studies. So practicing missions for Mars. Um, and we've also been doing some work on the International Space Station as well. So um, a big range of people. There is a, a sort of a different population that we work with that are they're not so much confined, but they are in um, isolated settings, and that's expedition goers. So people that go on kind of um, skiing and mounting expeditions to kind of polar and the greater ranges. Um, what's interesting about them is that they are outside, you know, every day doing things, but then they do have to live in in sort of tented habitats um, that are quite small and confined. So they're living in close quarters with people often. Do you think there's lots of transferable learning that we can take from studying these ice groups that we can take into understanding how 
families uh, uh, across the world suddenly thrust into close confinement with one another, how we can better understand and, uh, their situation and support them. Yeah, I think I think to some extent we can. Um, so I think there's there's definitely a, a distinction to be made in terms of the the decision to go. So not many people will have chosen to self isolate and quarantine without um, some reason. You know, that, uh, a kind of push to do it. Um, whereas people that go to these ice settings that are putting themselves forward and and they often are heavily trained to go to these places. So there's a there's a difference between the kind of the person. Um, when we're considering these kind of uh, this crossover uh, but what we what we often talk about when we talk about making comparisons is not just the the physical similarities between the settings um, but it's the psychological and social experience so um, people that are in ice environments might have quite similar psychological and social experiences to people that are isolating in the UK at the moment um, in terms of the the monotony that they might face, um, the lack of stimulation, the separation from friends and family. So it, we use those um, psychological and social aspects to compare more so than the physical context necessarily. Yeah, thanks, Nathan. That's that, that's really interesting. So let's move on now to some suggested strategies for how we can mitigate some of the psychological impacts of isolation. Uh, and let's start with this idea of threat, fear, and uncertainty that's so pervasive at the moment. What what learning can we take from these these ice settings that could could help us right now with that? Yeah. So I guess the first thing to say is there's a sort of there's a slight distinction we can make between anxiety and fear. Um, so anxiety is is a sort of anticipation. It stems from an anticipation of something to come um, that may be uncertain but might lead to some kind of harm. Um, whereas, and, and that could be, that can be quite chronic sometimes. So if, if we're sort of anticipating into the future, we might have days and days of anxiety. Um, and if it's something to do with kind of COVID-19 and we don't know when things are going to end, then that could be going on for quite a long time. Um, fear is something that's a bit more state specific. So it usually occurs when we're in a, we find ourselves in a scary situation. Um, and we, we respond with this kind of fearful response, both, both of those things are evolved to do something functional for us so they're designed to keep us safe um, and to help us survive in in sort of scary dangerous uncertain threatening situations Um, i guess the problem occurs when they're they're chronic um, and they're not resolved Um, so in terms of the strategies that that people use so the people that we've been studying in these ice environments um, they they talk about controlling the controllables Um, so there's lots of things about COVID-19 that we can't control, um, but there are things that we can. So we can follow the the guidance we've been provided. We can make sure our hygiene is good. Um, we can develop good safety type routines. Um, you know, when we're, if we do have to go to supermarkets to buy supplies, we can make sure we follow the, the distancing um, rules, that sort of stuff. Um, the other thing is to try and bring the, the, the time perspective that you're adopting in. So focus on what's going to be happening in the next hour, the next half day, the next day, the next week, rather than forecasting out to the next month uh, and so on. Um, and that just brings us, you know, we, we, to, to really reduce the feelings of anxiety and fear, we need to get ourselves into a position where we feel like we can control stuff. Um, and that helps us just maintain that sort of sense of control. I see. So just taking things day by day. 
yeah, and focusing on um, some small, maybe uh, achievable tasks at a time and, and trying not to overwhelm ourselves with the enormity of of the of what what faces the the whole population yeah i mean and then and then there are some other things so you know we when we've been we've been doing a bit of work recently on on covid19 specifically and we've been talking to people that are experts in sort of managing anxiety and fear and a lot of what they talk with we've heard is that people will be having kind of inaccurate threat um, perceptions and appraisals of situations so they're they're seeing a threat where actually the threat isn't really there. Um, and it's because everything feels threatening at the moment because there's so much uncertainty. Um, so if we can start trying to take a step back from some of these situations and, and actually think rationally and logically about it, um, then we might be able to better assess what is actually threatening and what isn't. So often the, the perceived threat is much greater than the actual threat. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, yeah, that's it. It's all about how we um, how we perceive and conceptualise that, um, and 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 perhaps you're talking about doing some taking time to do a bit of inner work to to really try and uh, reframe things in in our own minds. Is is that what you're saying? Yeah, and and really, you know, if if, you, if we're thinking about what the risks are, is really trying to get to grips with what are you know what actually are the risks, um, and, and using the the good quality information that's available to us to understand them rather than relying on kind of hearsay that's maybe going around on social media um, so relying on good sources of information will help with that um, the other thing that we can do to reduce kind of anxiety and fear is if if there are things that we are finding stressful or we think we might, we, we might be stressful over the next day or week or so we could try and write them down um, and then try whilst we're doing that try also writing down the the resources that we have so all the things that are available to us to cope with those demands um, because what we'll find often is that we actually have quite a lot available to us to deal with the things that, are, that are, we're forecasting to happen um, it's just maybe about going through and actually acknowledging to yourself that you've got lots of kind of coping resources to deal with those things yeah that's really interesting yeah so, so getting a pen and paper writing that down Okay. And does that tie in with the practice of journaling um, as a tool to help process some of these feelings, do you think? Yeah, so I think journaling is kind of one of the, we've, we've just done, we've been doing a project where we've been interviewing um, expedition goers and people that go in, off into extreme environments recently. Um, and pretty much exclusively, everyone talked about journaling when they were off out in these places. Um, and it, and the way they were talking about it was that it's, it just provides an opportunity. It's quite cathartic. Um, it provides an opportunity to get rid of things that might be frustrating you or where you can kind of share some of your anxieties and fears, um, and, and sort of get it out, um, which is a, is a good way of releasing it. And you don't necessarily have to share that with anyone. Um, it's just a way of maybe externalizing some of that stuff that's building up. Um, and we know, you know, historically people have that have gone off to antarctica and sailed you know on sailing voyages they've kept quite detailed journals um, and you can see in those writings this kind of uh, almost a, a therapeutic um, process of writing about it yeah nathan it's really interesting you mentioned journaling that's actually something i've been experimenting with the last six months before this covid thing kicked off I uh, I do a little daily journal in a in an app on my phone. I use Memento. Many people I know journal in a notebook, but I find just capturing my thoughts for that day. I find it very cathartic. It helps me to process some of the negative emotion, and 
most interestingly, when I read back through my entries from weeks before, it always surprises me what I was worried about at that point in time and how that was really just in that moment. And getting that perspective, having that hindsight of, 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 of that time reminds you of just how negative emotion and anxiety, particularly around COVID, uh, it can vary day to day. One day you, you think I'm terrified that my my family are all going to get this and that, and that all these people are going to die. And then the next day you, you're able to kind of to, to rationalize that in your head. And so, yeah, journaling has been something I've I've definitely found very helpful. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I, I absolutely agree. Uh, I, th- there's a few things about journaling that I just think are really nice. You know, it gets us away from the computer, gets us away from kind of lots of information flooding in. Um, it's also you know, physical activity as well of, in terms of actually sitting with a pen potentially and writing something out, which, you know, when we're thinking about a threat that we can't see, like the virus, actually sitting down and producing something that we can see um, provides a contrast to that. Well, I think it's a really uh, practical and elegant strategy that people could try at home. It requires minimal equipment. Um, well, we like minimal equipment in expedition settings, <laughs> um, but particularly now where you know, the shops are closed and you know, they might not have much, um, many different things to occupy your time, but all you need is a, a notepad on your phone or a, a pen and paper. And, and it's something, you know, we can all, we can all try and might be very helpful for people. So, yeah. Uh, another aspect of um, confinement and isolation, which I'd like to touch on is uh this idea of monotony and boredom you know being stuck in with your family for for weeks on end uh, and running out of things to do and is this something that the great explorers um and these you know, extreme uh, people that you've uh, worked with is this something they've experienced and and if so what techniques have they have they tried to mitigate against this yeah i mean it's something we hear a lot with this kind of the the monotony the boredom the repetition um, what what's quite I think quite interesting at the moment is that people that we've moved gone into the sort of self isolation quarantine period, and I think there's lots of buzz about things that people are doing. Um, so if you, if you go on social media, you'll see lots of um, different ways that people are keeping themselves occupied, um, and that's fantastic. But I'm I'm sort of interested in what happens next, um, and what happens in two weeks, three weeks, four weeks time. Um, are people still going to be developing these creative solutions? And hopefully they will. But th- that's when some of the monotony might set in. Um, and I think that's where having um, some good kind of techniques in place. So, you know, maybe developing routines that allow you to um, adapt to this this kind of situation we're in now to be something more normal for you is, is quite helpful. Um, using, you know, using food as a way of um, kind of, celebrating progress or celebrating milestones um celebrating that with your family that maybe you're with or or through using technology and sharing it with other people remotely could be a really good idea yeah i really like that idea of creating um uh, uh, context to to just routine day-to-day events so making that meal special somehow uh, making it a celebration of something that's happened that day um i think that's a really nice idea can you tell me about um, what Ernest Shackleton's crew did on their Antarctic ex- ex- expedition to stave off the boredom? Yeah, I mean they did they did all sorts. They had some they had some pretty pretty creative um, ways of keeping themselves occupied. So they used to do kind of theatre shows. They used to 
listen to music and wind up the music. They used to have these um, quite long rambling conversations about, about nothing at all, really. Um, just you know, sort of the most bizarre um, topics that they could think about discussing. And actually, you know, we hear that when, when we interview people that go on expeditions now, um, we hear that, you know, after a few weeks when they're, they're in the environment, they might have a few months to go. They start coming up with games of, you know, what's what's your top five uh, certain categories for whatever it might be. Um, what's the what what invention would you create, and if you could create anything, and, and the, these sort of little mental challenges um, to keep people going uh, is quite important. I think, I mean, the mental challenge aspect is quite interesting because if we, although we've got in these kind of resource rich environments that we'll be isolated in, we've got quite a lot of stuff to keep us occupied. In some places, especially if it, if we're thinking about quarantine in a hospital, for example, it might be quite sensory depriving, um, and so that's where coping with that sort of stuff, people might have to go a bit more inward. Um, and there's lots of really good examples of people that have been taken hostage um, and kind of kept in solitary confinement, actually internalizing and and you know creating whole worlds inside their head to to keep, keep themselves busy. Well, I mean, is that a good thing, or can that can that lead to uh, other issues? So, I mean, obviously, it's a comp. It's probably a quite a traumatic experience being, being kidnapped. Um, I would think, but I think the the thing that that does do is it it creates a sense of control when there is no control, um, because they they can't take your mind off of you. Um, so you you have the uh, you are empowered to create these worlds in your head. Um, if if you're in that situation um, and, and developing those kind of visualization techniques might be quite helpful yes that's really interesting i've definitely heard that described um um by people to frankel for example who mm. have been in solitary confinement or in, in, in prison environment for a number of years sometimes decades at a time and how they've created their own uh, world in their heads um to, to cope with that um fortunately uh with the covid19 pandemic people do still act, have access to uh to books their laptops the internet etc so we're not um perhaps quite that far um but i just wonder whether this is an opportunity for us to um to really um think about what's essential to us for for our well-being and we live in an age where there's an overabundance of of media of um um, different sensory inputs um, and I think in a, in a sense that can be quite overwhelming and just having hopefully having that stripped back will enable us to spend a bit of time with our own minds and mm. and think about a few key practices that, that can um, that can keep us well yeah yeah I, mean, I think I mean it's like anything with any any sort of situation there are more than there's more than one way to view the what's happening now um, and I think we have a choice to view it as something quite negative or if we adopt the mindset like you've just had, Will, is you know that there's an opportunity here to develop some competencies in terms of our own self-management and our mental health um, that might help us in you know down the line in a few years. Yeah, absolutely. And in your article, you reference um, other other techniques for for staying well, which don't require any uh, anything at all other than their own mind. So things like self-talk, visualization breathing practices and, and, and meditation, how can, um, how could those be used to, to help people? So, so, I mean, self-talk is something that's really, is quite empowering. So, you know, we, we hear often people having sort of mantras um, 
and when things get a bit tough then they can fall back on these these sort of sayings or these quite um inspiring messages that they've, they've read somewhere or you know quotes that that keep kind of keep them going um the visualization and imagery is what we just we talked about a few minutes ago so um you know there's a, there's a sort of escapism to some of that is maybe visualizing some places that you've been that um it makes you feel good when you go back there in your, in your mind um the, the breathing, I think, particularly for something like anxiety and fear, the breathing and meditation techniques are really helpful um, because they they help center us uh, and they can help bring down our kind of autonomic um, activation uh, levels. What, what's also interesting about breathing is if we practice it, so if we do these sort of breathing techniques and we practice them, we actually get better at controlling our sort of parasympathetic nervous system. Um, so we're better able at, at kind of controlling that response. Um, and it's like any of these, these things are skills. So the more we practice it, the better we are at using it. How would you suggest that for people out there who have never tried breathing or meditation, how would you suggest they get, get started with something like that? I mean, there's, there's some great tutorials on YouTube, like, like everything nowadays. Um, so, you know, the people are probably what going on YouTube to do DIY where they're stuck at home, but you could use it to go and, um, find out about some kind of simple breathing techniques. It doesn't have to be anything fancy. Um, it could be just a sort of count, count a number of um, seconds of breathing in and breathing out and just do it for a period of time and, and just pay attention to how your body feels when you're doing it um, and sort of really focus internally on, on what's going on. Um, and, and that could be a really, a really good technique just to calm some of that, that sort of threat and fear and anxiety. Yeah, absolutely. I think there's a lot of power in whatever you do in just um, unplugging and detaching, particularly from 24 hour news and from social media and spending a bit of time just with your own your own thoughts and, and to give yourself a bit of peace and time to process things. I think must be really, really powerful. Yeah. OK, let's move on to one of the third aspects of confinement that's well described in the literature, low mood and, and motivation. Um, and I think this might be something we we see perhaps late further into this as this becomes you know, month two month three as this as this as this drags on mm. um are there any other additional things that that could help people stave off um stave this off yeah i mean so, so the low mood and, and motivation you know i think it's it's almost inevitable at some point people are going to have some of those feelings it's not necessarily going to be a clinical issue um but it might just be feeling a bit kind of lethargic and a bit fed up with the situation um and i'd say that's that's pretty normal like most people experience that at some point so that's probably quite helpful just to acknowledge that that's the normal thing to feel um i think some of the stuff we talked about earlier in terms of making sure you are kind of monitoring progress um and and just you know looking back and thinking okay i've, I've done i've already done so many weeks of this now um, and, and just taking some pride and satisfaction in that can be quite powerful. Um, I think some of the other things about kind of um, trying to find the, the positives in the situation, about trying to have a laugh about some of it, you know, trying to just sort of joke around and um, maybe try and take it, take some of it a bit less seriously if it's starting to get on your nerves, you know, just make fun of the situation. There's, lot, there's plenty of cat and dog videos on YouTube you can go and watch if that helps. Um, oh yes it's interesting you say that my wife is totally addicted yeah. to cat videos on facebook it's created a whole problem of its own <laughs> yeah. and then there's, there's also i think there's actually a website that someone set up on yeah just positive or something like that where it's just got 
kind of like interesting positive stories that are coming out of this this situation we're all in so that that could be a nice way of kind of just boosting your morale a little bit as well so another daily practice that i've been playing around with for the last year or so is a win the day list so in the morning while i'm having my bowl of porridge i write down on a small post-it note the things i want to do that day or the the, the way I want to interact with others in the world around me. And I choose a post-it note because it, by virtue of its size, it stops me getting too carried away and too ambitious. Uh, and then once I've done that, I fold it up, stick it in my back pocket. And then at the end of that day, I revisit it and I look down the list of all the things that I've done. And I'm always amazed at just how much I've I've achieved. And I think it gives gives you that that sense of accomplishment and especially during lockdown, I think where perhaps we are, aren't doing as much as we might normally be doing, uh, just putting simple things on there, like just getting out of bed, getting out of my pajamas, making breakfast for my wife, um, calling uh, family, uh, just little things like that really, really gives you that sense of having actually done something. I've certainly found that very, very powerful for my own well-being and something maybe other people might like to try too. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's a really, that's a really good technique because it's got the whole, you know, you set, you set the goal and you revisit it and you just give yourself that little pat on the back and little reward for, for, for achieving it. Yeah. And it, what's really interesting in, in terms of how the public has responded to this pandemic is the outpouring of um, positive sentiment and camaraderie to, to the, to the wider community. Certainly on our street, there's, uh, there's been WhatsApp, groups, Facebook groups that have um, been set up to, to enable people to get shopping in for their elderly neighbours and um, and just support one, one another. And, and I think there's loads of opportunities right now for us to do uh, really uh, positive acts, acts of kindness um, to, to, to each other. Yeah, and, and, that, and that's really, really important when we're in these sort of socially isolated conditions. You know, we still we talked about agency being a fundamental human need well belonging is as well um, and we know we're, we're sort of social creatures so just trying to keep that fire burning in terms of our connectedness to others is really important yeah absolutely yeah that connectedness and it's, there's this kind of strange uh strange paradox in a sense that um uh, we are quite disparate geographically you know we're we're, we're isolated within little units within our households but we, we've never been more connected in a in a kind of digital sense yeah 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 so i mean it's what, what's quite interesting i'm sure other people i think i've seen people say this already actually but i'm sure other people are finding it is i've i've probably spoke to my parents more the past you know more consistently the past week or so than i have done for, for quite a few years um with sort of daily calls and and is that a deliberate effort that you've made to to stay connected with them or yeah i think so and it's just the acknowledgement that they're they're on their own as well they're not able to go and see their friends so it's just that sort of little bit of effort to just touch base and check in and and just you know bright you know lighten the load a little bit and you can have a little moan or you can have a have a laugh about something that's happened um, yeah it's interesting how platforms like zoom and uh and whatsapp are being finally adopted by the older generations they're forced into this new technology through necessity yeah <laughs> absolutely um Okay. I, one thing, I, I, an additional aspect for, for, for medics listening to this, 
uh, about having to self-isolate um, is the moral injury from not being available on the front line, from uh, feeling like you need to be there helping out, but being held back. You've got my- minimal symptoms, but you know you have to, to self-isolate. Have you got any thoughts on how medics can reconcile and, and, and perhaps uh, approach this um, in, a, in a positive way? Yeah, yeah. It's, it's a tough one, isn't it? Because it's, you know, the, these people are trained, this is what they're trained to do. Um, and, it, and it sort of feels like the skills are being wasted. But I think the important thing to remember is this is a, it's a marathon, not a sprint. Um, and that this is going to be going on for probably quite some time. Um, and those skills will be needed uh, later down the line. Um, and trying to sort of keep that rational perspective of, okay, I, you know, I might be missed for, for a week or two weeks, but actually there's a whole, you know, there's several months more that I can, I can contribute to. Um, and that the other, the other people that are, are fit and healthy and in the team will be able to do the job. Um, so I think it's that sort of trying to keep that, that kind of rational, um, perspective and take on, on the situation. And I think the other thing of that is, you know, if, if you're obviously, if you're really unwell, when you're isolating, then it's slightly different, but if you're just a little bit groggy or you're, you're asymptomatic, but you've been in contact with people that are um, tested positive is actually then take that time to really refresh yourself um, and use it as an opportunity to get some rest and have some good food. Because once, once you're back in the hospital environment, you're probably going to be worked quite hard. Yeah, I really like that idea, Nathan, of you of health professionals using a period of self isolation to really, uh, to, to really do some some self care and firm up those foundations so that they're in a really strong place when they do go back to work, uh, and they can then take on that that additional uh, strain uh, of 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 the of the workload. Yeah, and I, and I think it's not a unique. I mean, that challenge is not a unique one either. Well, I was just sort of reading and speaking to some colleagues that were involved in in Ebola and and sort of SARS before that, um, and they faced the same challenges. You know, going in um, and and having to sort of step back because they didn't have the right personal protective equipment, or you know, there were situations where they just it what they had to make a choice. And the, the, in these situations, we talk about least worst decision making. Um, you have to pick between two pretty bad choices, um, but crucially, you know these people are yourself and other medics are highly trained people, um, and we need to keep you um, keep you going for for as long as we can, um, and so that might mean just taking taking a step back. Yeah, absolutely. So we should all be you know this is a a call to arms for us all to practice and develop our our, our self-care whether that's during a period of self-isolation or at any time really i think that's a, it's a kind of key message here isn't it yeah. now one of the things that came up in your article nathan was this idea of having a passion project that really gives you a sense of purpose what passion projects are you working on at the moment and have you got any suggestions that are the are projects that people could get involved with uh while they're stuck at home yeah, I mean, so I've, I've, I'm pretty busy at the moment with um, with some of this COVID stuff. So we are, we are actually, um, we're developing a resource for people that are on the front line and for people supporting those on the front line. Um, and I'm doing that on top of my actual day job. Um, so, and that that's called Support the Workers. So um, there's a website called supportheworkers.org. 
Um, and that for me, that's that's a bit of a passion project. So that's something I'm doing kind of in the evenings around my sort of day to day tasks. Um, and I'm, the reason I'm doing that is because I feel passionately about helping helping medics and trying to trying to make a contribution, although not in a hospital, but you know, trying to do something that, that helps people. Yeah, I, it's a fantastic resource that and I really encourage people to, to have a look at that. We'll put a link in the show notes, but there's resources there on on uh, motivation, anxiety and fear, moral injury, resilience. You know, it's really, really good um, and it's you know, very carefully referenced um, with, with some really kind of practical, actionable uh, recommendations. Um, yeah, so go, go and check it out. Yeah. And then, and then, I mean, at home we've we've come up with a few little games that we're playing to keep ourselves interested. So we um we have a, a fridge covered in um, letter magnets. So we're my wife and I are doing a kind of word of the day on alternate days to see who can beat each other. Um, yeah, we uh, um, obviously I'm winning, so it's all good for now. Um, we uh, <laughs> yeah, not competitive at all. Um, yeah, we're doing we're doing some stuff with with music, um, sort of selecting soundtracks to listen to for each other, that sort of thing. Um, yeah, so there's a, some sort of little bits that keep us, you know, together, keep us motivated. So, in, in terms of passion projects, I think it's great to have uh, something on the side that's completely unrelated to the the pandemic or virus. That's perhaps a bit silly and a bit fun. It's learning a new skill. Um, just to take your mind off <laughs> yeah. things. And for Classic, me recently, yeah. that's been learning to juggle. Uh, I know it sounds ridiculous, but um, it, it's very playful, quite creative. <laughs> I mean, you can you can do it with anything. Yeah. You can just bruise up some apples from the fruit bowl and uh, it's endless. I, and I've just been exploring different YouTube videos, just different three ball patterns. And uh, it's been great. And it really takes my mind off things. Um, so uh, if you've got a bit of extra time, I'd encourage anyone out there yeah. to try and learn a new skill. Definitely. Yeah. I guess the final thing is exercise as well. We're, we're trying to do plenty of that. I mean, thank, thank goodness we, we can still do that. We're allowed, uh, according to current guidance, to go out once a day for, for exercise, uh, a personal exercise. <laughs> um, so, yeah. So just, I mean, if you, if you can get outside and I mean, the weather, at least the weather at the moment is quite nice. So. Um, you can always do a kind of hit session in the garden or something like that. And of course, um, do, do you ever kind of go for runs around where you are? Do you, or, or do you do anything else yeah. to, to get out? Yeah, we're quite lucky actually. So we've got quite we're sort of in the countryside here, so um, we can we can get out and either in the morning I'll put the baby in the the papoose and go for a little wander in the up the uh, by the river and in the in the trees. Um, or yeah, or we'll get get on the trails and and sort of away from everyone else and have a bit of a blowout which is always good yeah absolutely yeah and it's great to be able to do that well while we still can I, I do wonder whether the lockdown will be extended and actually you know even that kind of activity will start to be um, restricted um, yeah well anyway Nathan thank you so much for your wise words and your insights uh, that's certainly been very um, helpful to me and there's been lots of stuff there that I'm going to go and uh, a takeaway from this uh, I will both recommend to my patients that will be self-isolating um, and also I'll apply to, to myself um, if people want to reach out or connect with you um, how can they do that so happy to speak to people if they want to have a you know a chat or get in touch so I'm on Twitter um, at Dr Nathan J Smith and on email um, nathan.smith at manchester.ac.uk so people can get in touch um fire me some questions if they want 
um yeah and it's just been a real pleasure to be on the show thanks uh, thanks for coming on nathan great to chat